morning. Would you please stand if you're able with us and let us celebrate together that our Savior is risen. He is not dead. He is alive. And that means we have victory over sin and death with him. Here we go. My name is Noelle Munns, and I am part of the custodial staff here at Newcastle Bible Church. And this is my husband, Joe. Hi. We'd love to welcome you to Newcastle Bible Church, and we'd want to make you feel welcome. So please feel free to stop by the information desk in the North Commons, and we would love to give you a gift and let you know that we are very happy to have you here. And if you are new here or if you are a regular attender, please remember to check in just to let us know that you're here. You can do that with the card that's in your welcome folder or through the Church Center app. Thank you and welcome to Newcastle Bible Church. Have a blessed day. Amen to that. We are really glad that each and every one of you are here with us this morning as we seek to glorify God together to make his attributes and his wonders and his deeds known to each other and to celebrate those things together. That's what makes being together on a Sunday morning so sweet and special. 
as we continue to pray together, to sing together, and to sit under the preaching of God's Word together, I do want to share a quick passage of Scripture with you, just something that I think will really uh, uh, if, uh, inspire and um, provoke your heart to worship as you think about this, and I really hope this verse will kind of make the circuit breakers in your mind pop. But in John chapter 14, the disciples are hearing Jesus tell them that after three years of ministry, he's about to leave them. He's about to go away. And they are reeling from this news. They're reeling from the news that there's a betrayer in their midst. They're reeling from the news that Jesus is going to the cross, something that they couldn't fathom. They thought Jesus was going to establish his kingdom on earth right then and there, and that they were going to get to sit in his court and rule with him. And so Jesus in light of the fact that he's about to die in a few hours, seeks to comfort his disciples. And he says this, Philip, Philip asks him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. See, Philip was looking for some, some strength to his faith. It's like, you're leaving, but can you give us something that'll help our, our faith endure while you're gone? And Jesus says this profound thing to him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That right there should make the circuit breakers pop in your mind as you think about how Jesus equates himself with the Father. That he makes a statement about his deity. That as you read God's word and as you see in the gospels, the acts of Jesus and what he did and what he has said, that you are seeing the father, that as you relate to Jesus, as you spend time in prayer with him, that you are in relationship with the father. That if you know Jesus, you know the father. The profound fact that Jesus made visible the invisible God to us. He is our God. And he is our great creator and savior. So with that in mind, would you please bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we're in awe of who you are, of your deity, that though you came in flesh and you veiled your deity in the flesh, that you submitted yourself and surrendered yourself to the father to the point of death on a cross, we marvel that you are the one who created us, that you are the one who went to the lengths to show your love that you died on the cross for our sins, that you absorbed the wrath, the infinite wrath of God on our behalf, that you reconciled us through your sacrifice to God the Father, that we can enjoy a relationship with him for all eternity. We didn't deserve it. We weren't asking for it. We were rebelling against you. We hated you, and yet you came and you saved us. You served us. You came to serve. To, you washed the feet of the dirty, awful feet of your disciples. You came to give your life as a ransom to those who scorned you. And so we just want to say thanks. We want to praise you. We want to magnify your name here among one another this morning, but also as we go forth from this day into the rest of the world and make known how wonderful and powerful our creator is. I ask that you bless this time this morning as we affix our hearts and our gaze upon you. May you comfort us in the knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, would you please stand as we sing and worship about how Christ, he is our God.
Bring our sins mine, Redeemer is He. The hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree. Good morning, church. At this time, the the children ages three through kindergarten are free to head out the back and proceed to children's church where they'll hear an age-appropriate but still godly and glorifying teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's truly a blessing and a privilege to be with you this morning, and it's a, a, a blessing to be able to pray together as a body of Christ. So let's do that together now. Almighty God, we come before you this morning acknowledging how unworthy we are and the truth that, left to ourselves, we don't even deserve the privilege of lifting our eyes to you and bringing our prayers before your throne. Our consciences accuse us, our sins testify against us. We know the truth that you are indeed a righteous and good judge who punishes the sins of those who transgress your commandments. But we also know that in your word you command us to call upon you in every affliction, And you have promised us with an unbreakable promise that you will hear our prayers through the unspeakable mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to us and set forth as our mediator and as our advocate. So, Father, help us to 
let go of and turn away from any other source of refuge and instead take refuge in your mercies alone. We trust in your grace and your goodness, and we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to forgive us and cleanse us of any and all unrighteousness. We pray that you would give us the strength to turn away from our sins and to instead seek to follow you and love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength as empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, God, this morning we want to lift up to you our faithful church partner, Living Hope Church in Bartonville. We pray this morning for for Pastor Art and that his faithful study of your word in this last week and his preaching this morning would encourage him and grow his own faith in addition to all those that would hear it. We pray also for the elders there, that they are able to joyfully serve and shepherd their flock well. And then finally, for your people that you have drawn into living hope, that they would be refreshed this morning and that in the coming week they would grow in Christ-likeness. We also pray, Lord, for our Go Partner of Focus this week, our, our own brother Shane Knapp, serving at Salem Ranch in Flanagan, Illinois. We want to rejoice along with Shane for both the spiritual and the financial support that both he personally and Salem Ranch as a whole has received in this last year. And we're grateful, Lord, that in whatever way we can be, we are a part of the work going on there. We are consistently hearing of how you are working in and through the staff there to grow their faith and how your gospel is changing the lives of those students who come to that camp, many left with very little hope as they arrive. And along those lines, Lord, as we look ahead, we want to be in prayer for the three new students who either have arrived or will be arriving yet this month. We pray for your grace upon them, but also for their families. Surely there are heightened and confused emotions. They are mixed emotions with fear, maybe even anger. But we pray also hope, and where any hope is lacking, please grant it to them through the good news of your gospel. Now, Father, as we continue our time together this morning, we earnestly desire to make your name great, especially in a generation that doesn't want to hear it. So please, please, Father, use this time of worship through, through song, through prayer, and through the preaching of the word to make us holy as you are holy, not in and of ourselves, but through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Now, before we continue in our worship through the preaching of the word this morning, I want to invite Kevin up to share an update with you all. Good morning, church. I want to just start by saying a special thank you for all of you who were able to uh, pray for me these last two weeks as I was able to get away on a spiritual retreat. It was very, very much needed, and it was a life-giving time away. God heard your prayers and answered your prayers, and for that, I'm very, very thankful. I also want to publicly thank my wife, Jody for allowing and encouraging me, actually, to get away for those two weeks and uh, taking care of the kids and everything at home so that I could get away and be just entirely focused on renewal and rest. I'm very thankful for her. I also want to publicly thank the elders and staff of the church here because they have my complete trust. And when I am away, I don't worry at all about Newcastle because I know that we are in good hands here and uh, we are all together in the hands of God himself. So the past two weeks have given me some much needed clarity 
And so today I'm coming to confess some sin to you and to ask for your prayers and to ask for your forgiveness. Now, while the public confession of sin is never easy, we must remember that the confession of the sin is not the failure. Sin is failure. But when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So over the last several years, I've foolishly allowed the pressures of pastoral ministry to rationalize in my own mind a gradual spiritual decline of my own soul that has eventually become spiritual suffocation. Some would call this pastoral burnout. But God has shown me that I've actually chosen to give myself to the wicked sins of bitterness, self-pity, and despair. And all these sins are sins of pride. And my pride has impacted all of us indirectly and some of you directly through sinful impatience and sinful anger. And privately, my bitterness has fueled a growing detachment from my God-given responsibilities to my own wife, Jody, and to my two kids, Abby and Andrew, in the home, which has just led to even greater selfishness and isolation for me. So all of these sins are very serious because all of these sins dishonor the Lord. They hinder my prayers. They harm my family. And they constipate our mutual ministry together here at Newcastle. So I'm very sorry, church, for how my sins have impacted all of us. And I would ask that by God's grace, you could please forgive me and that you would pray that God would restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want to make it clear that no one besides me is responsible for my sins. I don't want any of you to think, oh, somehow I have caused Kevin to sin or somebody else caused Kevin to sin. No, God's grace was always sufficiently supplied to me, and I alone bear responsibility for the sinful choices that I have made in my despair and in my bitterness and in my self-pity. Now, ideally, I could have sat down and had this conversation individually with each of you. But since that isn't an option, I just want to be clear that if any of you desire to meet with me and share with me more of how my sins have personally harmed you or impacted you, I sincerely want to hear that, even as painful as it may be. And I want to, by God's grace, work with you to figure out what a path of restoration and restitution would look like in our relationship together. Now, as the Lord has helped me to ask my elders for help and counsel in recent weeks, I've been so blown away by their biblical and gracious response. The, the brothers that are serving us here in this church as our elders are so faithful. They they're committed to biblically, courageously leading all of us deeper into God's grace together. So it's actually very easy for me to entrust my soul to their care 
and to their counsel, even as I'm ultimately trusting in the Heavenly Father's mercy and the priesthood of Jesus for me. But in recent days, really within the last week, the elders and I have agreed that I should not continue serving as a pastor or an elder at Newcastle Bible Church until my repentance has time to bear its good fruits. Remember, James chapter 3, verse 1, says that spiritual teachers are held to a stricter judgment. And clearly, my character is not above reproach until time has the ability to bear witness to the fruits of my repentance, especially in the areas of self-control and in the areas of my own spiritual ministry to my own family. So therefore, I'm going to take an immediate leave of absence from all of my pastoral and eldering responsibilities here at Newcastle so that I can focus on the spiritual restoration of my own soul, the spiritual restoration of my family, and may eventually, in God's providence and His leading, uh, be able to return to joyful pastoral ministry in God's perfect time. Through your prayers, God has accomplished much good in me in the last two weeks. And I'm actually, you might be surprised to hear this, but I'm actually kind of encouraged and excited about the path that's ahead of me now. But, to be honest, there's still much restoration work to do inside of me. And I know it's not going to be easy. But God is with me, and God is with us. And Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus, God's grace is greater than our sin. So please, I would ask that you'd pray for me, pray for my family, as we continue to worship with you each week. Please pray that God's Spirit would do a radical, life-changing renewal in my own soul for His glory and my joy. Please pray for our elders and our staff. I'm so proud of them all. But pray for them to, to lead with wisdom and with courage and with God's Spirit and with God's grace. And please pray, church, that this would be a season of life-giving repentance for all of us here at Newcastle Bible Church as we are all praying together that God would continue to build us up and build up His body by His grace. I love you all very, very much. I'm so sorry for how my sins have impacted you. Please forgive me. I'm very humbled, but I'm very thankful to be a recipient of God's grace with you. Thank you. At this time, the elders are going to come up and lead us in prayer. So we're, we're thankful um, for a God that, though we may be surprised that this is news, um, it's not a surprise to God, and we look forward to how God will be glorified through this. So we're thankful that we can call to Him through that, so let's do that right now. Father, we're so thankful that You are a God that sees, sees us, knows us, but You're also a God that loves His church. So Lord, we're so thankful that... Um, we can trust in you, 
that you're, that you give us graciousness and mercy, that you're righteous. So Lord, please clothe us with righteousness. Clothe Kevin with a faith, a strong faith of assurance, and that his hope will be in you. We're thankful that the armor of God is given to us freely that we can ask. So we ask on behalf of Kevin that you will clothe him with the righteousness of the breastplate and the belt of truth, and that the helmet of salvation will be on him always, Lord, so that when the fiery darts, the evil one will come, he will stand firm in the gospel. And that I pray that for our church here, that we will stand firm, that we will have um, confidence in our faith. We will have confidence and joy in our salvation, that we will look forward to the belt of truth that will be on us all, Lord, so that when Satan's lies do come, that we will stand firm, Lord. Thankful for all of us that we can be an encouragement to one another, that we can grow in one another, that we can admonish one another, that we can pray for one another, because we know that you move through prayer, Lord, and you move through your church. Let us remember that today, Lord. Be with uh, our families here, be with specifically with the Sauter family, that they will be encouraged and that they will be loved and that they will hear truth from us and that they will hear truth from the word, that they will grow, that they will be more confident in their faith, Lord. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, you are the God of creation. There's nothing that's out of your sight. There's nothing out of your control. And we just thank you for this knowledge and, and faith that we can trust you to lead us through this time. We just praise you, Lord, and, and, and pray for Kevin and his relationship with his family, that pray that that could grow in love and in, in leadership. And we just pray for Jody and for Abby and Andrew I would just ask that you would please bless all of them together as they work through this time. And Father, I just pray for our church, for all of us, that we could set aside any of the thoughts that might detract from uh, being an encouragement. And we just want to honor you, Father. We just give you the, the praise and the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Kevin, on behalf of the elder of the elders, I want to commend you for your desire and your willingness to stand in front of our church today to confess sin and ask for forgiveness from everyone. This is not easy. It requires humility and deep sorrow. Just as several nights ago, you asked each of us elders for forgiveness as well, and we readily forgave you and expressed our love towards you. I look forward to our church responding in the same manner over the next days and weeks. Church, as elders at Newcastle, we are humbled as well as we walk through these difficult times with Kevin and his family. 
This elder calling is not an easy one. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 make very clear that the qualifications of an overseer in God's church require a higher standard. None of us stand before you as sinless. And we often pray as David did in Psalm 69, 6, to let not those who hope in you, Lord, be brought to shame through me. Let not those who seek you, Lord, be brought to dishonor through me. We tremble at those words, and yet we put our trust in Jesus and His perfect love mentioned in 1 John 4 that casts out fear. As Kevin mentioned, both he and the elders have agreed that he should step away from all pastoral and elder duties and responsibilities at this time to focus on restoring relational wholeness within his family and among our church. And this will take some time. So please be patient with him through this process. At the same time, I would encourage any of you who believe that you have been sinned against and are harboring any bitterness towards Kevin to reach out to him and talk to him in the spirit of Matthew 18, 15, that if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Church, now is the time for repentance and forgiveness and restoration to take place. I would also ask you for understanding in the ensuing days and weeks for us as elders. We recognize there are many unanswered questions and know there are unanswered questions in our minds as well. We have begun to lay out a number of objectives for Kevin to concentrate on in the days ahead. These objectives relate to his physical and spiritual wellness, along with a focus on restoring relational wholeness in several key areas of his personal and public life. As elders, we will not measure success by how quickly Kevin can return to his pastoral role here, as that would be unfair to him and put unnecessary pressure on the repentance process. But rather, we will follow the counsel of James 3.13, where he writes that the wise and understanding man, by his good conduct, will show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Lastly, I want to encourage you with the words of Matthew 16.18, where Jesus reminded his disciples that he will build his church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So while we may be discouraged and feeling like the enemy won a victory, don't believe that lie. God has every one of us in this church at this time and for this season to bring Him glory. So Pastor Scott, I'm looking forward to hearing what God has placed on your heart today as you come to remind us from Ephesians about what is true. Thank you, Newcastle. I encourage you to open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have some men who will make their way here to the front and 
work your way to the back, so just throw your hand up. Love for you to be able to follow along as we study God's Word together this morning. The challenge in situations like this is to wonder to yourself, what now? What do I do now? What do I say now? How should I even think about all of this? It's a point I want to be very sensitive to this morning because if we're not careful, we allow our minds to drift into dangerous territory. Perhaps we start to doubt things about God and His church. Perhaps we start to assume things about others that just may or may not be true. Perhaps we just give in to despair altogether. As I thought about what I could say or what comfort I could bring to our church this morning from God's Word, my mind kept going to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Vision is critical to our daily lives. For many of us, vision is obscured to, due to all kinds of factors outside of our control. Uh, that's why many of you are looking at, this, uh, looking at me this morning through some form of corrective lenses, whether those be glasses or contacts. Uh, these lenses help us to see with proper perspective, but it was not necessarily an easy process getting to that point Doctors helping and evaluating, toggling back and forth between good, better, worse, bad. I've learned that this can be the case as well for the Christian life, that we are always viewing things through a spiritual lens. Filtering information or situations through the lens that we have placed, not before our eyes, but before our minds. Even for Christians, we struggle to keep the appropriate lens situated in our minds. That's my desire for our church this morning. I want us as a, a church family to just take a step back and just consider how we process the information that we just received. What we need this morning more than anything is truth. But not just any truth, we need truth that gives hope. Just as Paul says here in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, think on those things. Whatever is true, think on those things. And as I thought about what truths our church needs to hold on to in this time, my mind kept going back to our study of Ephesians. 
because it was in God's divine providence that he has been graciously providing us truth these past eight months that is timely and invaluable for each of us here this morning. And so I would encourage you in these next few minutes to humble your hearts, to quiet your souls, and allow your minds to be filled with the following essential truths, beginning with what Chad just reminded us of the fact that this is Christ's church. This church is Christ's. It is not ours. It is not the elders. It does not belong to one single pastor or individual. This is Christ's church. Ephesians remind us that Christ is both the head and the cornerstone of his church. And we must be reminded that the very first promise that Jesus gave to the church was what? I will build it. I will build my church. While the gates of hell and the schemes of Satan may attack the plans of God, we are assured this morning that they will not be victorious. They will not overcome. With all the challenges that our church may be facing, we can hold tight to the truth that God's cornerstone remains in place. The firm foundation that never moves in a constantly changing world. God has chosen to make his name and his fame known through a messed up, imperfect family of people called the church. And yes, this is Christ's church. And God knows what he is doing because, secondly, God is in control. Nothing happens outside of God's ordained plans. The very first, of Ephes- the very first verse of Ephesians reminds us of this, right? Where Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by what? The will of God. Here's where we must remember that trials and sufferings, even if brought about by man's own sinfulness, are not a surprise to God. In fact, the greatest evil and injustice of all time, the murder of Jesus himself, was always a part of God's plan. And so if God is in control, then there's certainly something he wants us to know, something that he wants to teach us through this time. And here's where God brought me time and time again back to the truth of James chapter 1 this morning, that God counts it, we are called by God to count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that those trials produce maturity of faith. In fact, the word he uses there is steadfastness. They are used by God to actually propel us forward. Or put another way, God uses trials to grow not destroy our faith. Say that again. God uses trials to grow, not destroy our faith. Our thinking and our response in this time (coughs) will be a reflection of how much we truly trust that God is indeed in control. But here's where we also must remind ourselves also that we need to count our blessings. 
We need to count our blessings. We must remember that because of Jesus, we have been blessed beyond all measure. We have been blessed far beyond anything that we could ever earn or deserve ourselves. Ephesians first 14 verses reminds us of that very fact that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That is a guarantee. When God adopted us, he set up a heavenly bank account of spiritual wealth that is reserved and protected for us. And the challenge in times like this is to lose sight of the big picture. And that's true for us as individuals, but I believe that's a temptation for us as a whole church as well. That we look at the hard stuff, and indeed, I'm not here to, to tell you this morning that there is not hard stuff going on right now. We often see the hard stuff and we forget to, to take a step back from under the, the dark clouds that are there. And see the expanse of spiritual blessings that are still taking place in the lives of individuals in the life of this church. Even this last week, we were receiving news of God bringing people to saving faith in this church or through this church. People desiring to take steps of faith in baptism. Dozens of people joining Bible studies. Even people, apart from this situation, confessing sin. Church, let's not forget the blessings that are still taking place even in the midst of difficult situations. And we must use this time also as a chance for us all to walk in the light. Times like this should cause us to turn the microscope onto our own lives and cause us to examine our own hearts, honestly. We're reminded in Ephesians 5, 7 and 8, that we are now children of light who have been brought out of darkness. Therefore, we are to walk as children of the light. Today should bring about a time of spiritual refinement in our church on an individual level. It starts on an individual level. God did not waste these seasons of suffering, even though they are hard and uncomfortable for us. It should be a time for each of us. And if I'm perfectly honest, to my fellow elders, this starts with us, right? When Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, he says, watch out for yourselves and for the flock. But he starts with yourselves, knowing that you have to start with yourself before you can lead others. And so it's a time for all of us to look in our hearts and see what sin needs to be confessed and brought into the light. Why our hearts? Well, because Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to guard our hearts because from it flow the wellsprings of life. Everything else of who we are and what we do, what we say, flows from what is in our hearts. I was reminded of Jonathan Edwards this week who wrote several resolutions when he was a young man. One of those geared specifically at this idea of what he should be thinking, how he should be responding when seeing and hearing of the sins of other people. Listen to the maturity of this answer. He says this, that I will let the knowledge of their failings prove only an occasion for my confessing my own sins to God. 
prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins to God. In other words, I will use the failings and the sins of others to turn the microscope back on my life to see where the plank is sticking out of my own eye first. Fifth, we need to beware the evil one. Oh, church, be on guard for the tactics of Satan right now in our church. He loves seasons like this to do his work. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 reminds us that we are engaged in a very real spiritual battle, even right now. Satan would love nothing more than to use our season of hurt as a battleground for all kinds of his schemes. To redefine the enemy as those who are within our church family. To cause us to give up hope, to give in or to justify our own sin. To allow bitterness or anger to fester, ultimately to give him a foothold, especially in broken relationships. Satan would love nothing more to use all of that to his advantage. Do not give him that opportunity. Why does he do this? Because one of Satan's favorite tactics is to bring division to Christ's church, which is why we also need to remember to be quick to preserve unity. To be quick to preserve unity. Unity is central to God's redemptive plan, both for the world and for us as individuals. Ephesians is chock full of these examples here. It's one of the most important themes discussed all throughout the New Testament, which tells us that this must have been a struggle for the early church as well. There's nothing new under the sun. Unity was a struggle even in the very first century, just like it is for us now today. And yet Paul urges us towards unity. He calls us in chapter 4 to be eager, to be zealous, to preserve unity as much as possible. Why? Because we have already been united by the blood of Christ. We share in this one hope, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Let's flip that on its head for just a moment. Why is disunity so dangerous to the church? I think it's because it undercuts the very purpose for which Jesus came to die. He came to unite all things in himself. Think about the Jew-Gentile relationships of the first century church and how unappealing disunity would look to this whole movement that they were calling Christianity, to this good news that they said they would proclaim and yet created dissension. What's appealing about that? You may be wondering this morning, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you cultivate unity, right? You can't just say, be more united. How do you cultivate the attitude of humility and unity? Well, it begins by putting on the right heart. By putting on the right heart. Or as Paul says it in Ephesians, put on the new self and all it contains. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 spells this out for us. The foundational elements of humility and gentleness along with patience and love. Perhaps it would be good for each of us today to stop for a moment and ask ourselves. To ask your own self. What does it look like for me right now to be humble in this situation? 
What does it look like for me to express gentleness in this situation? What does it look like for me to be loving and patient and life-giving to others? These heart attitudes are consistent with who God has now made us to be in Christ. The old has gone. This is who he has now made you to be in Christ Jesus. And that has very real application for us in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul spelled this out, right? Verse 25, we are to speak what is true. Verse 26 and 27, we are to deal rightly with our anger. Verse 29, we are to have speech that aims to build up rather than to destroy. Verse 31, we are to put aside attitudes that only seek to bring division. Verse 32, we are to put on the heart of Christ, remembering that Christ first forgave us. This is all essential if we are going to truly build up the body. Right, We've been talking about that all year here, what it looks like to build up the body. The body of Christ, church, I think about this all over this week. The body of Christ is built up best when every member is building up one another. I'll say that again. The body of Christ is built up best when every member is building up the body. In love. There are a lot of temptations in a time like this. One is to withdraw and to isolate, saying, you know what, church, it's just too messy. It's too messy. I'm going to associate with it, but I'm going to hold it at arm's length. Another would be to just run altogether, to use this as a reason to just say, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm going somewhere else. Don't want any part of this. My challenge to you who may be feeling that way this morning is this. See this as a season where we need the entire body of Christ to lean into and build up one another. See this not as a season to withdraw more, but to actually lean in more, invest more, give yourself more. This is not, in other words, a time to retreat. This is a time to come together, to support and uphold, to serve and to care, to learn and to grow. And certainly it is a time for us to come together in prayer because if last week taught us anything, it is that prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. We must remember to cast ourselves at the feet of grace the throne of grace and complete surrender and dependence to God. Even Paul's prayers in this letter help shape the way that we need to be praying for one another. In chapter one, he prays for the Ephesians that they would have hearts of thanksgiving, of wisdom, that they would desire to, to know God more. Why is prayer so essential? Because it puts us in our proper place with God. You know, a temptation right now for all of us, and even us as leaders, just want to, we want to be in control. We want to be able to figure out how to control circumstances and outcomes, people's responses. There's all kinds of ways that control becomes a temptation for us in our lives as believers. But I am not God, nor am I anywhere near as good as what God is. 
And so I can do nothing better for myself in the life of this church than to set my mind on God's truth and place my will at the feet of the cross. And so church, let us all be quick to pray. Remember, this is one of the most important pieces of warfare that Jesus has given to the church for our battle, keeping in mind at all times that we serve a God of hope. Perhaps the two best words in Ephesians are those words in Ephesians 2.4, but God. But God. Even when we were dead spiritually, God made us alive. We serve a God who can bring the dead to life both physically and spiritually. Our God is in the business of doing new things, things that are often seen as impossible from a human vantage point because they are humanly impossible. That's the point. That's the point. But if we know our Bibles and we hold tight to what we know to be true, then we can trust God in this season because we know that we serve a God of hope. And I'm not talking about just some wishful thinking. I'm talking about hope that is built on faith and trust because God has proven himself over and over and over and over again in our lives. That hope is what will allow us to work through the hard times together knowing that God is more than able to see us through. He is more than able. Because chapter 3, verse 20 reminds us that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We have failed the moment that we start to put limits on God and what God can do in certain circumstances. This past summer, we played a game with the, the youth called Bigger and Better. The, the concept is that you give a group of students a paper clip and they go out into the community and try to trade it for something that is bigger and better. And once they get that item, they go to the next house and they try to trade it for something that is bigger and better until the very end and you really just have a bunch of garbage that needs to be thrown into the dumpster, right? The idea is who comes back with the, the biggest and the, what we would say the best item is the winner, this verse reminds us this morning that whatever we think is possible, or whatever we pray might be possible, God is able to do bigger, and he is certainly able to do better than anything that we can think or imagine. So I ask you, church, what do you think it looks like for God to work in all of this? What do you honestly think right now that looks like? I'd encourage you then now to start praying and start watching for all the ways that God is able to use that for his glory. Because ultimately, church, God will be glorified. God will be glorified in his church. As mentioned at the beginning, we are a messed up and a messy people, and yet God still chooses to use the church in all of her imperfections to carry the hope of the gospel to the watching world. And the hope of Scripture that we need to cling tightly to this morning as we conclude is this, God will be glorified both now and forever. The hope for all of us today is this, Jesus wins in the end. We have that chapter written. It is sure. A day is coming when God will put an end to this messed up sinful world. 
He will do away with all of our imperfections and all of our infirmities. He will establish a kingdom of perfect righteousness and justice. Yes, church, God will be glorified. That is a living and breathing truth that you can and must hold tightly to in this season. And so, going back to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. I want to read for you the very next verse. We read Philippians 4, 8 as we started. Take a look at what Paul writes there in verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Live them out for the sake of your own soul and the eternal good of others. Practice them. And you know what will happen? In the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all the anxiety and the fears and the worries that we all might be contemplating together this morning, What does Paul say will happen? He says, the God of peace will be with you. In fact, in verse 7, he says, it is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I have to believe to myself this morning that most of you want some peace right now. That you are in some way hungering and thirsting for some sense of peace. Here's where it starts. Here's where it starts as a church. Whatever is true, think on and practice these things. Father, we now just come expressing our dependence to you, knowing that as we have just acknowledged, you are the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And Father, I admit there are ways that my own feeble mind doesn't even know what that looks like right now. But I know in these times that you are a good and a gracious God who we can trust, who we can lean on. You are the God who desires to give favor and uphold and support those who are working for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray for that now as your church, as messed up as we are, as sinful as we are, Lord, do your refining work in us today because we know that ultimately, Lord, you will use that for your glory. And that is what we desire. So, Lord, do the hard work of causing us to examine our own hearts that we might render to you the worship that you are certainly worthy and deserving of today. We ask in the name and the power of Christ. Amen. Well, as Pastor Scott reminded us that even when it seems cloudy and gloomy, dark, the sun is always shining. The sun is always shining. And we have to remind ourselves the sun is shining beyond the clouds. We have to remind ourselves of the hope that our God can do more than we ever hope and think. And we only have to look as far as the cross to remind ourselves of that. For the cross, God ordained before the foundation of the world that the Son of God would be crucified. 
that the greatest evil ever perpetrated was under God's complete control. And that greatest evil, God worked for the greatest good and his greatest glory. So if God can do that on the scale of Jesus' death, how much more so can he do that within the realm of each and, our li- each and every one of our lives and in the life of this church? God working through the difficulties, through the turmoil, through the sin to bring about the greatest good and his glory. We serve a great God. So if you're able, would you please stand and sing with me as we comfort ourselves in how great God is.
Take heart, church. We do serve a great God. We recognize that times like this are a challenge. That's why we need the lens of truth to filter everything that we process together as a church family. We do, again, encourage just your patience in this season. We recognize there's a lot to think through, a lot to process together, and we're going to walk through that together. And so we, again, invite if there's questions, concerns, things that are on your hearts and minds, even as you are just looking at your own life and looking at just needing to walk through something difficult, maybe it's the confession of your own sin, whatever that may be, just know that you have spiritual shepherds here who desire to love you and to walk alongside you in that. And so we want to just continue to entrust ourselves to the God who is able, the God who is far greater and far better than any of us can hope or imagine as we pray out our benediction this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Let's pray that out together. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, and all those who are trusting in this truth would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.